But I do want to say a very hearty, grateful, sincere thank you. Without you being here and being faithful to the Lord, allowing His work to take place in your life, who knows what could have been. But I'm thankful for what is, and I'm thankful for what can be. And so today as we talk about our mighty Savior, who He is, we return to the text to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Hebrews or turn on your copy of God's Word, however you may be uh, looking at the, uh, the text today. And looking at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. It would be good if I have my notes because if I don't have my notes, then I'll certainly chase a bunch of rabbits and that would be no good for anyone. But we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. Now, if you're using our Pew Bibles, which we welcome you to do, uh, it's going to be on page 1063 for having trouble finding that. And uh, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, we do make them not just for decoration purposes or just for worship-only purposes. If you want a Bible, take it. We'll replace it, and it would be our privilege to put it in your hands, but we ultimately want to get it in your heart. So stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. The text is Hebrews chapter 4, looking at this inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God gifted to us, penned by men, but authored by the Lord. We're going to start in verse 12 and go through verse 16. And it says this, For the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from Him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Let us pray. Lord, we have read from Your Word. We have heard it declared. But may we take serious the source of these letters, the source of these words. They come from You. They are a gift of Your incredible grace. But they are also a, a, a major picture of Your holy righteousness that you are god who was who is who always will be and that all eternity is in the palm of your hands and that includes us so today lord help us hear from you show us what we need to know in this day that you have appointed for your glory that we may know your grace that we may hear the good news of your gospel and we may trust and follow after You. In this place, among this people, I ask, God, that You do what only You can do. 
For I cannot save, nor can a neighbor save, nor can a parent or grandparent save. Only you can save. Only you can transform. Work in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. So when we come to any text of Scripture, we're always wanting to know a few answers to questions. We talk about these each week. And we go over these as a reminder that, that it, the Bible is not to be meant to take flippantly. It's not meant to just kind of pick it up, see if I can get a word of the day, reading it, and if it applies to my current circumstance, great. If it doesn't, then I guess it doesn't really matter. No, we need to take it seriously and see, first of all, what it says. It is such a good privilege that we live in a place where we have the Word of the Lord accessible to us, made available in our language where we can read it. We want to continue providing the Bible in a very readable way. That's one reason we try to give them away. Not so we can say, hey, let us clear out our inventory or let us pat ourselves on the back on how many Bibles we've given away. No, we believe that when people have access to the Word and, and, and they get into the Word, as one of my friends says, uh, fellow pastors, until the Word gets into them, lives are transformed by that. Not because it's some hocus-pocus, I read it and now my life is transformed. No, because God awakens faith through the hearing of the Word. So we need to take time and see what it says. So we've read some text and about the, the powerful Word of God and the priest who makes it available. We're going to get a little bit further into that. We need to see what does it mean. When we're looking at the book of Hebrews, it's important not just to read a snippet of text and take it out of context from the letter it was written in. This is a letter, all of it, addressed to the peoples, the Hebrews people, who in this day and age, uh, they believe it was written sometime in the mid-60s A.D. while the church was facing persecution from Rome and the church was facing persecution at home. They were facing it from the, the, the government at large, but also those that were Hebrews, some of them leaving the faith to follow Jesus it brought dire consequences in their home life. They were facing suffering. And reading this text, we see the good news it provides in a time of anguish. In a time where you may ask, what can I do? How, how could I live like this? I, I, I'm not that person. I'm too weak. I mean, what can be done in, in such a great, huge mission field? It's, it's too hard. The, the soil and the souls are too difficult here for God to be fruitful. This gives us great, great confidence and hope, not based on our ability, but based on the strength of the Lord. It lets us know how this applies, not only in the context of what was being said to the first Hebrew readers and listeners of this text, but how it applies in the, in the daily in and outs of our life. That the meaning may be exactly what it means. It is. But it also has significant role to play in our lives. Because if you look around, you would probably argue that some people are a lot like me. But then you would probably also argue there's some people that are not a lot like me. They don't know what I go through. They don't know what I've been through. They don't know what I've done. They don't know what I'm, I'm thinking about doing. But God does. And God has a word that applies in our life. It doesn't change the meaning, but it, it infiltrates 
who we are. It penetrates the soul and the spirit. The question is, will we trust what God is saying to His people? And you may wonder, if you are not a believer or questioning about being a believer, how could I follow this God? You may be wondering, how could anybody follow this God? That seems so ridiculous or or hard to do or difficult. You may look at people of faith and not only be curious about how it seems so odd that people would do this, but you also may look with admiration. You ever had those people that they, they seem so close to the Lord and you just can't help but have a little bit of admiration for them? I've have some people like that in uh, my discipleship groups, and, and I'm not telling on them, and I don't think they would be telling on me. It's amazing when you get together in a huddle with just a small group of believers studying God's Word, how He just opens up and says, you know what? There's stuff we can learn from each other, and not one of us is perfect, but all of us have a perfect Lord, a God who walks with us. And those people that you may admire because you thought, ah, they must have never had a difficulty in their life. Man, they must have been walking with Jesus since they got off the bottle. Either one. You will find that their comfort is not in their ability, but in the strength of the Lord. In the strength that comes from Christ. So why do we, this is the aim of today's sermon, is this question. If we're going to look at where we've been in ups and downs and hopefully where we're going and who we can be in this day as well, why do followers of Jesus, why do followers of Christ find such strength in the Lord even in the midst of our known weaknesses, not to mention our unknown ones? And here is the answer. The Bible tells us that we have a convictional Deeply founded, confessional, widely proclaimed, and correct faith. And that this correct faith should give us confidence. It is this correct faith that brings us union with the Almighty God who empowers us to stand firm even when we feel like we're going to fall down. Why is that so? Well, let's look at some topics the Bible talks about as we see this Word of the Lord that penetrates us. The Bible reveals this about the Lord God. The first of all is that He is. Hebrews 11.6 talks about this. The Bible is replete with this declaration that God not only was or that God will one day be, but God is and has always been and will always be. And He is the only God. The living God. There is no one like Him because there is no one but Him. This Lord God that is proclaimed by the Bible, that is our confessional proclamation, that is our convictional faith, is one who is self-existent. No one needed to create Him. No one needed to produce Him. He has always been. He's also self-sufficient. He has no need that we could ever provide. That we could say, God, I know you're lacking here. Let me give you a handout here. That's not what it is. God is always self-sufficient. Solomon proclaimed this and he says, this, what can we provide the Lord? He says, we, we've built this temple, but what can we put there that he would need? It says that this Lord is immutable. That means he's unchanging. That doesn't, that means the God that we talk about, the eternal God, has not changed with the whims and winds of time. 
The same one we read about in the Old Testament is the same one that's Jesus walking the side. He is unchanging. His holiness is impeccable. He is eternal and He is omnipresent. There is no place you could ever go to escape from Him. Psalm 139 says, if I were to make go up to the highest of heights or the lowest of depths or the as far east as I could, if I were to even make my bed in the grave, even there you are. The Lord is. The Lord God is not only is, but He is also all good. He is completely righteous, completely holy. He's so holy. Angels saying holy one time is not enough. I mean, think about it. They are seeing the goodness and righteousness and holiness of God so powerfully, so potently, that they have to have wings to cover their hands and their feet and their eyes. And then just saying holy is the Lord one time is not enough. They have to say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is completely good. There is no evil in Him. He is all-powerful. Omnipotent, able to work his sovereign will, even in the free responsibility of man. There is nothing that escapes his power. He is omniscient, he's all knowing. There's never been a moment where God just looked at us as we were talking of him and he goes, You don't say. Well, golly. Never pictured that. There's never been something God had to learn about you, nor will there ever be. He knows you completely. Which is pretty impressive, but it's also pretty darn scary. Think about it this way. If God knows every single thing about you, why is it that sometimes we try to hide from the Lord? Because it's already out in the open in His eyes. God is also dealing with the problem. The Lord God is going to bring a reckoning for evil. Yes, God is all good. Yes, He is all powerful. Yes, He is all knowing. Yes, He is always present. You may wonder how in the world, if that's true, then why is there weakness? Why is there pain? Why is there sickness and fallenness and, and hatred and all the vile things that we can picture when we think of evil? Well, let us not forget that we live in a fallen world because of our sin. But let us also remember that the Bible teaches that God made a way to draw people to His righteousness then. And He continued to be faithful and He continues to be faithful. And one day there will be that ultimate consummation, that ultimate reckoning where God will judge the living and the dead. That evil will be no more. Pain will be wiped away. Tears will no longer be shed. Sickness will be not even a memory. Because the Lord will restore His people completely. This is the fixed hope that we have in Jesus. The fixed hope that as we've been through the book of Hebrews, we've been seeing these titles of Jesus. You see, we've talked about how just saying Jesus is better, it kind of goes like rah, rah, re, kick Him in the knee, rah, rah, ras, kick Him in the other knee, and that kind of thing. And we just think that's our cheer. And it sounds very confident and arrogant and maybe even a little bit conceited. To a world that doesn't know Jesus. But when we look with confidence 
at the confession of Scripture, at the conviction that it pours out, it gives us all these reasons why, yes, emphatically, it is not arrogant to say Jesus is better. It is the truth. That I've put these listings of, of what we've just studied just so far. We're only in chapter 4 of a 13-letter book. 13-chapter book, excuse me. And in four chapters, it's talked about this, that this Jesus is the Creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He is the inheritor of all things. And when we look at Jesus, we're seeing the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of God's nature. We're seeing the One who is eternal, faithful, and has the title of Divine Son of God. We're seeing the One that the Bible testifies about. He's the living testimony of it. We've seen that He is the mediator of our Salvation, the, the majesty that sits on the throne above, the Messiah that was appointed from above, the one who is superior above all other names, the only one who is sufficient as the substitutionary sacrifice for humanity's sin. We've seen he's the apostle, the sent one, and the high priest of our confession. And today, as we look at the text, we're reminded again that he is a great, merciful, faithful, helpful high priest. And why we need this? Because the Bible has already told us that the Bible... The Word of God exposes the deep things of our soul. And if He is all good, all present, all knowing, all powerful, He sees the evil that is a part of our fallenness. We have to have a high priest to deal with our brokenness, to deal with our sin which is not some minor flaw, which is not some character issue. It is the deep unrighteousness that comes from sinning against a holy God. And make no mistake about it, the Bible has said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. So me up here, I want to let you know, I I have not lived a holy life and am sinless. I am not one to cast the first stone at all. I am as much in need of the the mediator that is Jesus as any other person. And that also means that none of us are far greater than any person outside these walls. All need Jesus because all have fallen short. And the Bible says that the, the very deep things that we will all be held account to this God. So what are we to do? Because we're weak. We're fallen and we need a Savior. Because we have a mission and we don't have the strength to accomplish it. This is where the Bible draws us near and says, Behold the strength of Jesus, your great high priest, the great high priest. There is no one like Him. And there is no one but Him. And so that you may know Him. It gives us this glimpse. It tells us to look at His sovereignty. He is the One who has passed through the heavens. Have you ever passed through the heavens? I haven't. You ever know anybody that has? No. But Jesus has. He's passed through them. It's like, yeah, I took that trip. I know it all. Seen it, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Got the coffee mug I drink from on Tuesdays. That's Jesus. He's passed through the heavens. His sovereignty is above it all. And we need to see this Jesus. 
But we also need to see His destiny, that He is the Son of God. He has a role that He plays as, as the second person of the Trinity, this one God in three. He is the sent one that comes so that we may trust Him. That we may learn from Him. That was His role to play from the foundation of the world. The book of Ephesians tells us that God loved us before the foundation of the world. And because of Jesus, we have all these blessings made available. Because Jesus in all of His sovereignty says, I also do not just reign purposeless. I have a point. I have a destiny that I will fulfill completely. And we're told to draw near to that. We're told to see His humanity. In verse 15 of chapter 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Now, I know there's been some confusion at times whenever I've read this, and, and some confusion with people I've talked to, and, and maybe confusion with you. I, you're, you're far smarter, I get it. But it seems here that Jesus has to learn something. But it's, we just said that God is all-knowing. How do we have to see that Jesus learned something? That, that's not the point there. The point is not that Jesus learned anything because He didn't. The point is for us to know that this Jesus walked in our shoes. That we, when we look to Him, we see from our perspective that He didn't learn anything, but we know He walked where we walked. It's for our assurance. It's for our hope. Not that he had to be like, well, let me put yourself in my in your shoes so I can learn what it's like, because I don't know what it's like to be a man. No, he knew everything, but he put it there so that we could have assurance and draw near to see his humanity. And yet, in living out that humanity, we would see his stability. We would see his divinity as the Son of God, and we would see the one who who had all that God is in him. The exact expression of God's nature. And yet, was tempted as we are. But was stable. Sinless. Perfect. Excellent. Without fault. Completely. Utterly righteous. This is what is found in Jesus. I've said this before. And I like this illustration. So those that have heard it before, I apologize. But if you wanted advice on money and how to handle money, what type of person do you think you would go to? Would you go to someone who is always utterly broke and can't make it from paycheck to paycheck? And I'm not trying to push anybody down there. I, I know the difficulty of living in, in poor times, and, and I've been there, the paycheck to paycheck guy. So what I'm saying is, don't come to me about money. No, most of us will say, I want to go to the person that looks like they've got a good handle on this, that is stable. If you went to a parent and they said, I, I need to learn what it means to be a better parent. Are you going to go to the person that's negligent and abusive and cruel and distant and hateful? No, you're not going to go to that person. You're going to go to the person that's loving and compassionate and you see the way they raise their kids and, and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
You get what I'm saying? You track what I'm saying here? So if we need help with our salvation and our righteousness, we need to be careful who we're choosing. The Bible says choose Jesus. The Bible says see Him. Learn from Him. Acknowledge Him. And, and, and run to Him. It says that when we look at Jesus, we behold His strength. We see all these aspects. We see also His sympathy. His love and compassion towards us. And that's an incredible, awesome news from the text of Scripture. You may be curious of, of whether or not Jesus could or would ever welcome you. I know I have enough sin in my life to know that I am absolutely unworthy of Jesus welcoming me. But guess what? Salvation is not based on your worthiness. Because if salvation was ever based on anyone's worthiness, I read this from a Thomas Watson quote, and I shared it this morning, if it was ever based on anybody's worthiness, guess what? There would be no salvation. There would be none, because no one would be worthy of it. But it's based on the worthiness of Jesus. Because of His worthiness, He makes this gracious, loving gift available. And in doing so, this Jesus who is our high priest, He comes to us and says, I want you to know, I have lived this life so you would know I understand you. I have lived this life so you know that I love you. I have lived this life so you know that I will accept you. But as a priest, guess what? I have lived this life so you are not the same. I did not love you so that you just say, okay, give me some cheap grace cards so I have my fire insurance. But I loved you so that you may know what it's like to be adopted in my love, to be pardoned by my love, to be rescued by my love. And, and I, through that, will transform you. Because in Jesus is the know-how. And no one else is that know-how found. Behold the great strength that's found in Jesus Charles Spurgeon once said this famous phrase that I have a great need for Christ. And thankfully, I have a great Christ for my need. Look at the text and see what it says about this Jesus we worship. And when you see Him, you begin to see all the other weaknesses and everything else just kind of fall through your hands like sand. And all that remains is the utter strength and power of this God who loves and rescues and redeems. And when you say that, you say, God, I may feel like quitting. I may feel like falling down. I may feel like in utter defeat. I may have been the product in the moment of failure. I may be in the midst of failure. But you, Lord, you are strength and you are redemption. And you rescue. And so once you behold the strength of the Lord Jesus, what are you to do? What are you to do after you see Him? If you want to stand, you become united with faith to Jesus, the great high priest who is greater in strength than our weaknesses. In verse 16, the admonition, the, the direction, the, the, this is the application part, part of it. This is what are you to do when you come face to face seeing this great high priest? Well, it's not time to tuck tail and run. 
It's not time to hide behind a rock. It's not time to put up your fences. It's not time to grovel as a worm. What does the Bible tell us that we can do? It says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Seeing this strong God, the sovereign one who passed through the heavens, who sustains it by his powerful word, what do you do? You draw near to him with great assurance. The Bible invites you to draw near to the living God, the omnipotent, omniscient, all good, all powerful, all knowing, all is everywhere, never changing, always existing God who will deal with the reckoning of evil and who will not let sin remain. You have to draw near to Him with great assurance. Not because you're hot stuff. Not because I'm good. But because He's great. Because He's great. You're to draw near not only with great assurance, but you're to draw near to Jesus, the great authority that you recognize, I have beheld His strength, and who could I turn to but Him? I, the, he is the authority on all things, and I turn to Him. As our church faces the next years and, and what's ahead, what are we to do? We're to come near with great assurance that God welcomes us forward, but also to recognize there is nothing beyond His power. There's nothing beyond His knowledge. There's nothing beyond His provision. There's nothing beyond Him. And there's no hope without Him. There's no fruit produced except abiding in Him. So we draw near to the great authority. The throne of grace. I love that. That that utter picture of this high court with just overflowing grace. So mighty. We're to draw near to Jesus for great affection. It says that in that boldness and that assurance coming to the throne of grace, that we get affection. Now, I don't know if your heart or your life is filled with loving relationships or not. I, I don't know what that looks like in your life. I, I've never walked in your shoes. But there is a unrest A hole that we are missing that can only be filled with the affection and compassion and love of Jesus. And He provides it. He meets us in our time of need. We're to draw near to Jesus for great affection. If you are in this room and maybe you're not yet a believer, and you wonder, how could God love me? How could God, who knows everything and sees what I've done, love me? Well, once again, it's not based on your worth. His love's not based on that. It's based on how good and loving He is. And yet, as good and loving as He is publicly, He's also personal with every single soul. Lastly, draw near to Jesus for a great appointment. You may say, well, Pastor, I'm not seeing that in the text. I'm not seeing a commissioning or a task or a job. That's where the letter has been taking us all along. That Jesus has saved you for a purpose. He saved you for an appointment. 
that you are to live as image bearers, that, that boldly with, with gracious, loving confidence say, yes, Jesus is better, and I cannot wait to share that with another. I want to share that in my home because it matters in that very first mission that God in His providence and His mind has, has placed me in. That was not a mistake. It matters because you're to proudly proclaim that in your workplace, that, that where your job is, that didn't escape God's mind either. He didn't say, well, I'll be. How'd you end up there? He leveraged you for such a time as this so that others may know this great high priest. And for those who you have yet to build a conversational relationship with, to trust that God has placed you where He's placed you for His divine appointment so that you may know and they may know that He is the Lord and He is better. Today, I don't know where you are, but I want to drive this right to the cross for you. If you're in this room today and your soul is not at peace with God because you've not seen and came to Jesus as your priest that not only makes the sacrifice for you, but is the sacrifice for you. I want to tell you, once again, you need Him. And He's putting that impression on your heart of of lack of peace because He's showing you this God that is made known in the Scripture. He is holy and there is no one like Him. There is no one but Him. And that holiness, it can scare us to death because we are so not. The world is evident of the offense of sin. And what does this holy God do? What does He do? He makes the sacrifice by being the sacrifice. That is the image of the cross. That is the message that's in it. That Jesus was the priest that says, I will go on behalf of the people. But He's also the Lamb. I will die on behalf of the people. But the cross is not the end of the story. The resurrection says, this is why He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because He is not some dead deity. He is the living God. Who says, even today, every single person, whether they are a believer or yet to believe, they may draw near to the throne of grace that He calls us forward and says, come and receive grace in time of need. But are you listening to the call? No one can do it for you. You must respond to Him drawing near. To His grace that overflows. And in drawing near, see affection. See assurance. See His authority. See His purpose. A purpose that transforms our life here and now. And a purpose that awaits us on that day when we see Him face to face. And then we will fall on our knees and worship Him and say, I have no one else but You. And that's all I need. Let's pray. Lord, today, as we come to this point of response, as we come to this moment where we remember and look back on all the things that You have done, they are amazing.